Aguinaldo! This, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Eward is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Power through the Alaska Airlines studio. On Seattle Sports. Oh, we're going to do you on the internet. It doesn't really work that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Eward and Mike Salk. Hello! Well, and we do have some, not huge, but breaking Mariner news. Just a couple of minutes ago, uh, this came out. And so who better to chat with than our good friend and Mariner's insider, Shannon Dreyer, who uh, has this report and has uh, been joining us every day this week from Peoria. It's good to have Shannon this week because by next week we will be down there and uh, we will, of course, chat with Shannon while we're there as well. But uh, I can't wait to get eyes on all of this and just sort of be in and around the uh, the facility there and seeing everything that they're doing and, and uh, kind of getting to, to just hear the sounds and see the guys and who's free and easy and all of that. We'll do a little spring training primer, actually, with Mora coming up an hour from now and Jerry Depoto will be on the show today as well. So uh, plenty of baseball conversation right now. Let me bring in Shannon Dreyer, our Mariners insider, and you can read her at SeattleSports.com. Shannon, some breaking news this morning, huh? Yeah, there was a familiar face that walked into the clubhouse about 20 minutes ago in street clothes, and it was one of those ones where you're wondering, oh, if he's just stopped buying, stopping by and saying hi, but it turns out it was not, and it appears that the Mariners have a minor league deal with a kind of infamous Mariner killer, Cole Calhoun, um, pending physical. So uh, he was in camp saying hi to the guys, uh, talked with Jerry DePoto uh, a little bit, and then I talked with Jerry and said, uh, yeah, it, it has a lot to do with Taylor Trammell. They, there is kind of, they are thin at outfield mm-hmm. right now, and this is something that works for both of them and also you know, pointed to he fits what we're doing. He is a great clubhouse guy, and we'll see what there is. Any truth uh, to the rumor that it was actually Justin Myers, former uh, Seattle sports host Justin Myers? Uh, yeah, you know, it looked like it could be a long-lost cousin. I thought, uh, thought Justin, Justin was just Myers. down from Portland and yeah, like, oh, no, it's actually Cole Calhoun. Any truth to the other rumor that they're just going to stick him in AAA and refuse to let him leave so that he can't play for anybody else this year? <laughs> well, that has been an issue, so I would not put them that past him. But, no, it's a depth thing. You know, there are a couple of different areas where if things happen, you get a little bit nervous. And Taylor Trammell is expected uh, to be, you know, hitting again probably within six weeks at this point. But how long does it take to get him going? Mm-hmm. What if something else happens? And this is this is exactly the kind of thing and the kind of deal that you see in spring training. Well, and if I'm not mistaken, Taylor Trammell, uh, it's a hammock bone, right? It's his wrist. I've heard that wrist injuries can linger for a little while, even after guys come back. Any truth to that? Well, yeah, they can, but it's this is one of the ones where I think you've got a better shot at getting back pretty quickly. Oh. It's usually a pretty uh, clean surgery, but so you got to get the bone out okay. of there, be done with that, and then go. So it's not and, like the Ty France situation? No. <laughs> Hi, what a great lead-in right there. <laughs> it's almost like I set it up that way, Shannon. Yeah, it's almost like you've been saying that was the issue all last year. And what? lo and behold. <laughs> me? Little old Not me? That you would say I told you so, but. I would never. I certainly didn't text Divish yesterday to say almost exactly that. And I probably won't be shoving this in Scott Service's face when I get down there next week either. Well, you know, it is interesting because I was one of the ones and it's kind of forcing me to take a look at how I was watching that because typically 
anybody who's hurt you see taking treatment in the clubhouse. They'll have the ice pack. They'll have something wrapped. They'll have the heat pack on their back. You know, those are ways that we knew, you know, J.P. Crawford was dealing with things throughout the offices throughout the season last year and, and different back issues around the clubhouse and whatnot. But we really did not see anything with Ty. And Ty was saying there was nothing. What we didn't see, though, was we didn't see him in the clubhouse a lot. And that is, in today's day and age, you don't see players in the clubhouse very much. They uh, have places to get away from everybody else. They also have a lot of work that goes on in areas that we can't go into. And Ty said he spent most of the second half in the training room getting ready for games last year, getting treatment, trying to get uh, it fixed or get to where he could be of some sort of use to this team. And also said it really wasn't an option to have a surgery or to sit down for two months with the way the club was playing and what they were uh, trying to do. So, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, I, I, I take note of that. I did not think it was anything too serious, again, because we did not see treatment. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it wasn't going on. So, you know, the telltale sign there was he wasn't in the clubhouse a lot. Well, and the other telltale sign, and this is the good news, is he wasn't good afterwards. And, you know, I think everyone's fear is, hey, look, if his wrist really wasn't bothering him and he just got bad for the last few months of last year, that's a bit of a concern because it was longer than just a slump. It was pretty prolonged. If his wrist was bothering him, which we now find out is the case, great news. Doesn't that mean we're going to get the real Ty France back this year? Yeah, you hope so, because, you know, and that was, to me, where I didn't think he was injured. That's where I was scratching my head, because he has been remarkably consistent at the big league level. And I think he was beyond the point where, where oh, they figured something out with him. Plus, he also has shown a good ability to make the small adjustments that he needs to. So that's where it didn't make a ton of sense. And I was starting to fall into the camp. Well, maybe he's not that consistent. Maybe that's not who he is. So I feel better knowing that and he's not blaming the injuries but when you are protecting something you change things up and you fall into bad habits and i think that that is what happened and then you start pressing and then you start swinging at things that you haven't swung at before so uh when you asked him you know did you work on anything in the off season he said no i just need to get back to where i was and that swing in the first half so yeah you feel great about that i think Hey Shannon, I liked. Uh, I was I was reading through your uh, your piece yesterday, and uh, some good stuff there on Harry Ford, who you said was working with the number one catchers. For those who don't know, Harry Ford, you know, number one pick a couple of years ago, really athletic kid who can jump out of the building. It looks like he's stacked. He's really built. Um, he's a catcher who could one day end up moving to third base if that's the direction they go. Uh, what 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 is the plan with him in spring training this year? Well, it's definitely not to move him to third base. And that was actually he's played more in the outfield. He hasn't really played in the infield, uh, to my knowledge. Um, and they see him as a catcher. And he just turned 20, year, 20 years old. He's only got one full year in professional baseball. So he is probably at best two years still away. But he is on one of those paths where he just uh, he picks up things. He's a sponge. He learns he had a rocky start to last year, and he said, honestly, the first two months, I was living on my own for the first time. You know, I was 18, 19, and, and uh, you know, I was trying to figure all that stuff out. Imagine that. Then imagine trying to be a catcher. And I love that they have him with the small number ones group. He's with Cal Raleigh. He's with Tom Murphy, and he's learning. And he is taking everything in. But, no, they see him. He, he is so athletic that he could 
he could play just about anywhere on the diamond, but they have been impressed with what they have seen from him as a catcher. But you have to remember at 20 years old, he can only have so much experience. Yeah. So you have to you have to cultivate that. And you saw them do that very carefully with Cal Raleigh as well. Hey, I saw uh, you were texting me yesterday that you got to see the traject machine, which I'm so excited to see next week. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I don't know if you've explained what it is right oh, yeah. now, but it is, <laughs> it's basically virtual reality pitching. It is a, a, a pitching machine that can do things that no other pitching machine can do. It's, it's taken all of the data that we have, and it has uh, moved it into a pitch, not just what the pitch does, but how it looks coming out of the hand. So they combine video, the pitching machine, the ability of the machine to uh, – it can get down the spin of an individual pitcher's pitch, not just the pitch, but how the pitcher throws it, the spin access. It can throw the ball from the angle that the, the pitcher does, and you can program it to do anything. You can even go back and replicate in that bat that you had with this machine. And so I was able to get in the cage and take a look at it. And yep, it looked like I did not step in. You didn't step in. And I did not step in. Um, Jerry DePoto told me I should step in. I'm considering it, but the most important thing that you do anything like this is to know that you can get out of the way. But it doesn't make mistakes, right? Can it 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 not make mistakes? Well, the other thing is, what is your reaction going to be to it? Turn around, obviously. Well... How fast can you turn around? Probably not fast enough. Don't you have to wear like a... He's been trying to tell me this, too. You got to wear like the David Ortiz uh, armbands or whatever when you need like body armor, Barry Bond stuff. But if you get that, I mean, like, you know, how much could it hurt? I don't want to know. All right, so start <laughs> off. Know. Start off with some Marco Gonzalez, right? Okay, start now off. Here's with some... the other thing: Can you program the thing to a four foot eleven person? I mean, this thing is just. It's I true. mean, I, it just sounds like it could be more dangerous for me than uh, anyone else. Oh, I thought you were suggesting that I was four foot eleven. Than you are. <laughs> That's what Brock usually does when he's here. <laughs> I don't know. Well, probably not, but we'll see. But it was great to see it. And different guys use it in different ways. I'm going to write up things on it. It's it's not a matter of just going in. I'm going to face you know every great pitcher in the league right now. Right. Uh, you know, it's fun to see it, but you don't want to a wear yourself out okay, with so, that kind of swing. Too so much. let me ask you this, Shannon. You step. You you feel comfortable. You are. For, <laughs> let's say you were convinced that it will not hurt you. Okay. You are safe. Who do you want to step in against? Whose stuff do you want to see from the perspective of the batter? Well, with what I saw from probably 20 feet behind the plate <laughs> yesterday, I wouldn't mind seeing Luis Castillo. I think that would be a lot of fun. How good did he look? Um, you know, uh, okay, so the video that I sent looked really good. What I didn't send is he's still finding his location right now. It was definitely Luis Castillo-ish pitches, but uh, he was also starting to kind of tune it in a little bit. So it's early, um, and it's great that he's in camp and not going to the WBC, but he is a guy, he said he has a very, you know, he's I've been doing this for a long time. I know exactly what I want to do in spring training, and and, uh, he has a a very regimented way that he goes about getting into things. So it was kind of a first live batting session, and there were some pitches that yeah, they weren't all as, as nasty and pinpoint as a couple that I tweeted out. 
Well, I can't wait to see him down there. That's the number one guy on my list that I want to get eyes on. Shannon, thank you. Appreciate it as always. And, uh, you know, the next time somebody has a little trouble coming back from a wrist injury, maybe Taylor Trammell later this year, we'll just remember what happened with Ty France. Thanks, Shannon. Always listen to Sock. There you go. It's good. Hey, it's a good piece of advice in general. I tell my kids that all the time. Uh, that is uh, Shannon, and you can uh, read her at seattlesports.com, of course, and follow her on Twitter. And uh, we'll be uh, chatting with her throughout next week as well as we are down in Peoria at spring training. Jerry DePoto is going to join us coming up in 20 minutes. Moore's got some uh, pressing questions about Peoria as well. That's at 9 o'clock. And then a uh, good buddy of mine, uh, we're going to do a little preview of tonight's huge cracking game at 9.30. So a lot coming up after Need to Know next need to know 15 minutes past every hour with brock and salk here's what you need to know up first well you heard the news from shannon dreyer our insider just a few minutes ago the mariners do have a minor league deal in place with longtime mariner killer and left-handed hitting outfielder cole calhoun spent a large part of his career of course with the angels and has been the last few seasons in arizona and then in texas he's not been the player that he once was but they do need some depth in the outfield with taylor trammell heard and so they bring in cole calhoun uh ty france great news he was hurt last year Yes, it's great news for me because I continued to say so, even though a lot of people told me I was wrong. But this is why I don't like wrists, because they tend to remain hurt even after the player is able to return. And Ty France said essentially that was the case. Yeah, I think it it stemmed from that that play in Oakland where the uh, noisy took my arm out. Um, You know, there's still some lingering to it. And then I started manipulating my swing to try and avoid, you know, any pain or anything like that. So just created bad habits and kind of got away from my swing. So I think that was the biggest thing. And then wasn't getting the results that I wanted. So it was chasing hits, swinging at bad pitches. So it was just an accumulation of things. Yeah, wrists have a tendency to linger. And that's obviously what happened with Ty France last year. So good news. Hopefully he's healthy this year and we'll get a a, a real version of Ty France and not the shell that we saw at the end of last year. Julio Rodriguez uh, named number 16 on MLB Network's list of the top 100 players in the game. Chris Young in that segment said, yeah, he's on his way higher. I feel like Julio is well on his way to being one of the top five best players in the game. If we look at his season last year, what a year, by the way, but in April... I mean, he got the rookie treatment from the umpires. In April, I mean, you're talking about 10 punch outs in April to where there were pitches out of the zone. But he was able to keep his composure, which is what separates this young guy from the majority of gun guys. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. And and that ability, as Tom Verducci said, to focus on the process rather than getting caught up in the results. One of the reasons Julio could be a top five guy before too long. Here's the second thing you need to know. Yeah, again, strike this from the record after I say it, but I do like what G. Scott had to say yesterday regarding the Seahawks and a plan that he came up with for what to do with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. I think the Seattle Seahawks say, hey, you know what? We got about $25 million a season for you. You want that deal? Cool. If not, you're going to have to go out there on the market and find somebody that's going to beat that, and then we're going to rack them and stack them and we're going to take the gamble with this young guy, this 24-year-old Drew Locke. Yeah, essentially what he's saying is play hardball. Hey, man, this is what we got. We're willing to roll the dice and do what we did last year with an unknown because he's not totally unknown to us. And if you want to come back, here's the price. We can't go over that. If you think you can beat it in the market, go ahead. 
and we'll be okay with that. We'll be happy for you if you get 35 somewhere else. But if you want to play here, this is the amount we're willing to offer. I don't know how things are going down, and I think you have to know the answer to that question before free agency so that you can go spend that money on something else instead. But I do certainly like the idea of approaching these two quarterbacks in that way. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, we've said this before, biggest Kraken game of the year, and it is now tonight. It's their best task going up against what seems to be the modern equivalent of the Big Bad Bruins. Boston's just been the class of the league all year. They've been dominant. But, of course, the Kraken were one of the few teams to beat them, and when they did, made quite the impression on Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, it was their forecheck. You know, they're really uh, a hardworking team that was on the puck at all times and uh, had a good transition. They were uh, you know, playing hard, um, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's a team that uh, uh, we know what they're all about. Their team, it's um, you know, has, has good depth, but also uh, seems to be playing the right way. And, and those teams are not uh, easy to play against. Yeah, it makes sense. They do forecheck well, and when they get their game going the way they did in Boston that day, they were essentially mistake free. They haven't played all that well since. So an opportunity to kind of show that that was not a fluke and beat this team a second time and put a little pressure on Ron Francis, GM, to make a move at the deadline. Meanwhile, speaking of that, ESPN insider Emily Kaplan saying that the Kraken may end up being a big-time mover and shaker at the deadline. One assistant GM telling her that they've been sniffing around on a lot of possibilities to add to their roster. So there you go. That is everything you need to know. And we do that quarter past every hour here on the new Brock and Salk show. Uh, we still have a ton to do. I can't believe we only have an hour and a half left in the show. Uh, we have to, uh, we've got a great ranked coming up today. Another straight ranking without Justin. I've, I'm throwing caution to the wind. We've got another straight rank today. That's at 945. Uh, my friend Joe Haggerty is going to come on, chat a little bit of uh, of Kraken Bruins with us at 930. Uh, Joe's great. He's uh, he's he's the best. And then, um, yeah, we got Jerry DePoto coming up next live from spring training. What could be better than that? Stick around. We'll find out more about Cole Calhoun, the latest addition to his Mariner squad coming up on Brock and Salt. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Jerry DePoto going to join us here in just a moment on Brock and Salk. If you missed it, uh, Shannon Dreyer reporting this morning and came on with us to tell us that the Mariners did indeed uh, sign Cole Calhoun to a minor league deal. He's already there in camp, and uh, she saw him walking through the clubhouse this morning. So uh, a minor league deal for Cole Calhoun, a little small breaking news this morning for the Mariners and uh, a perfect way for us to uh, intro our next guest, Jerry DePoto. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Mike. How are we? Uh, we're great. I hear uh, you've got a new minor league deal in place with Cole Calhoun. Uh, we do actually. It's a uh, it's it's a uh, pending physical, so we got we still have one step to take, but don't really anticipate uh, anything getting in the way, and hopefully. Uh, Cole gets in our camp as these games start tomorrow and see what we got, build a little depth here. Is this, Oh, is it about depth or is it about making sure you can like stick him in Tacoma and not let him go anywhere else? So he can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> I, I, we've, we've been on the, the receiving end of some uh, untimely blows from, from <laughs> Cole through the years. So yeah, between I think Scott mentioned this morning between wrapping up uh, Stephen vote to, to join our coaching staff <laughs> and bringing Cole Calhoun in, we've, 
We've we've done sixty seven percent of the work on yes. making sure our nemeses don't haunt us. Yeah, people keep saying you got to make up those sixteen games with the Astros. It feels like that right there should at least count for a few of those. Uh, seriously, why Cal- Cole Calhoun? Why why bring him in and why now? Uh, you know, Cole. Well, first of all, it's a it's you're not going to find a better clubhouse guy than Cole Calhoun. That really fiery. I've had experience with Cole dating back to his minor league years with the Angels and when he first broke in at the big league level. Uh, has a lot of leadership qualities that you look for. He's He's got energy. He's got passion for it. You know, he's got the, the right amount of, uh, you know, the, the that, that fiery competitor in him that, that stands out and really kind of rubs off on the other guys. So, now, that plus, you know, a really good defensive outfielder who can really throw that that has a history of hitting right-handed pitchers in the day is, you know, what's the loudest thing she's heard as she's walked around uh, uh, the facility? How about you? As you've been there now for, for the last couple of weeks, what, what's the loudest thing that you hear on a day-to-day basis? The loudest thing that I hear on a day-to-day basis, uh, probably the intersection between Bryce Miller's fastball and Gino coming in in the morning. And, you know, with a, maybe a sample of Julio taking BP when he gets into one on the pull side. (laughs) So you've talked a lot about Bryce Miller. It's interesting how many times uh, you've brought up his name. You know, what should I make of that? Is he, he's just, it seems like he's often top of mind for you. Uh, It's just an exciting young pitching prospect. And there's, there's still so much, that, that we can learn about what Bryce's ceiling is. You know, he, he didn't pitch a lot prior to getting to Texas A&M. He was a position player who, you know, pitched sparingly and and then went to college, pitched as a reliever for the Aggies, then went through his, his first exposure as a starter in what turned out to be a, a shortened, very shortened COVID season and only had one full season of pitching under his belt when we took him in the fourth round and he's done nothing but improve in every area. He's athletic, you know, he's performed at each level we've challenged him with. And for, for a pitcher of that type of upside and, and I guess relative lack of experience on the mound to, to jump through and, and truly dominate on his way to double a in such short time is, is, Pretty impressive, and, and we think he's just scratching the surface of what he's capable of. Hey, are, do you still have trade talks going on? I mean, is, is now still a busy time in terms of teams chatting with each other? Yeah, I mean, it's happening. It's not as robust as it was in December and January, but you know, we're still having those conversations. And you know, it's uh, as camps get going, and you know the. the the injuries just start jumping out. You know, when you get the, the dings and the bruises, you expect those. When you get something more significant than that, uh, there's there's only so far your depth is going to be able to carry you. Uh, and, you know, as, as such, you wind up, you keep in touch with teams on players you've been interested in. And, you know, your your phone's at the ready in the event that, that something goes wrong, you know, in your camp or elsewhere. And inevitably it does. So those conversations will continue throughout the spring. We, uh, we we read the article, the Tom Verducci article on Jared Kelnick and looking forward to seeing him when we get down there next week. Uh, what do you make of the swing changes he's made and, and how much can that be helpful to him moving forward? Uh, he's another one of those loud things. You know, the ball coming off his bat right now is is loud. He's, uh, Jared's in a really good place and 
He's, uh, he's, he's generally been very quiet in, in the way he has approached it. You see a maturity that has, you know, that has evolved over time. His, uh, he, he's carrying himself in a different way in this camp. And I think it's a, in, in a good way. He's, he's evolving and maturing as a player. And, and really, we've seen him grow as a person. But uh, the, the swing changes he've made, he's made, they're fairly evident when you're watching his swing. It's not one of those where you look and say, boy, it's hard to see what changed. You know, mm-hmm. you do see a change in the bat path, particularly the angle through the zone and the finish. And, you know, right now he's, he's on everything he's throwing. He's got a great routine that he's working through in the mornings and, and during BP. And, you know, I've said for you know a couple of years now, it, it, the talent is so big, and and his work ethic is is so real, and I, I have a hard time believing that he's that he's not going to find success at this level, and and hopefully this is that time where he breaks through. How much of his issues do you think have been swing related, as opposed to the other you know elements of the game, whether it's pitch recognition or you know emotional regulation, or any of the other things? What percent? of it do you think was swing related uh you know i don't know the answer to that it's a, it's probably some combination of many of the things that you just mentioned and probably some others it's you know that's that's growing up that's maturing that's that's understanding your skill set and how to apply it but you know jared's always had a good swing so he's been a flat swing which is i think why when he was coming through uh, the i guess the amateur ranks and and into the draft he was always forecast as an average power guy. You know, it's a, that, that this, it's a pretty swing. He's going to hit for average. Nobody ever really gave him, you know, the, the potential upside in the power department because he had more of that kind of flat gappy swing. And, you know, it, you don't have to watch Jared Kelnick hit too much to recognize that there is really high end power. <laughs> and, you know, and that might be what has shown first in the big leagues is that he does have, you know, real power. And, you know, this might be an opportunity to blend what it was, you know, originally a, a, a really polished hit tool as, as a young amateur player and, and let his two skill sets meet, you know, the skill set that he's picked up as a pro, which is driving the ball over the wall and, and the skill set that he had, you know, as a as a young player entering professional baseball, and you know, and a lot of it is just about pitch recognition. You don't see the types of breaking balls, especially the breaking balls, but the high spin fastballs at the top of the zone. You don't see those in, in a ball. Uh, it's like you will see them in in the American League West. So those are adjustments that all players have to make. Hey, you know, one guy that that we haven't talked a, a ton about is uh, the the guy you got back from from Arizona, Cooper Hummel, in the uh, Kyle Lewis deal. You know, I, I'm trying to figure, and I was talking to Shannon about it yesterday. You know, what what does his future look like? Is there a path for him to make the opening day roster? Tell me a little bit more about him. There is a path. You know, Coop is a he's a really interesting guy. Um, there's he's one of the most disciplined hitters. In professional baseball, uh, his selectivity at the plate, the pitches he swings at, the walk rate he draws, you know, obviously he has spent a career uh, in the minor leagues to this point as a very high end on base threat. He does it as a switch hitter who has the ability to play either of the corner infield spots, either of the corner outfield spots and catcher. <laughs> and, you know, the, the catcher part of that is really where he gets intriguing. He's, he's always been a catcher dating back to his, his, you know, little league high school days. 
he hasn't had a ton of exposure uh, at, at the, the professional levels to catching over the last three years until last year when in emergency he was thrown back into, you know, a catching, I, I guess, role with the Diamondbacks without having had many reps in the previous two seasons, spending most of his time in the outfield. And yeah, it's, it's a hard place to get thrown back in as a major league staff, you know, trying to compete, but uh, we love his offensive skill set. We we really do value the things he brings to the table. And, you know, he went to the fall league this year and focused exclusively on catching after, you know, going through last season with, with Arizona as a, an emergency fill. And I, I think we saw things that we liked. And we're going to see where he is this spring. There is a path to him being on our club. And the advantage that having a third catcher on your roster gives you is that, you know, we have Cal Raleigh and Tom Murphy. Cal handles both lefts and rights, and Murph really handles the lefts. And to have a guy that could allow you to DH one of those players on a given day is a real benefit. Well, yeah, and and I, it makes as you're talking, I, I I didn't know he could play third base. How well does he play third? Because I would think that would be another path for him as sort of a backup option to Suarez there. Yeah, he said this is something that's more of a, a developing. Deal. You know, he's played first, the corner outfields, the corner outfield a lot, and, you know, the, and catcher more recently. And the third base is something we talked about this offseason. He's played it a little bit in, in his minor league past. Uh, he doesn't have any exposure there at the big league level. How good is he at it? Don't know yet. <laughs> I would suspect it's not going to be Brooks Robinson-like, but we will we'll give him a shot over there because we feel like those, you know, that type of, utility or versatility really just makes us a much better team if he can handle it. Was Brooks Robinson that good? I mean, people are still using his name to describe third baseman after all these years. Was he that good? I, I mean, he's got 16 gold gloves. They That's tell a, a story. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of gold gloves and the highlights that we see, the transition. It's a, I never got to see Brooks Robinson play live. I've only seen him on film, but it's pretty phenomenal when you watch it. Mm. Hey, uh, I see this as really good news um, about Ty France yesterday, revealing to all of us that he was dealing with a wrist injury throughout the, the back half of last year. You know, how, how much do you think that affected his performance? I think it crushed him. And, and, you know, and I admire the fact that he was kind of shucking it off as, you know, I'm, I'm just in a slump. Up. This isn't about my wrist. Ty's a pretty tough guy. He, as you might expect with a guy who gets hit as often as he gets hit and whose path was late round draft pick who had to show it at every level. I, I think the fact that Ty France turns up on, you know, lists like MLB Network's top 100 players and is an all star is, there's, he's a really good player who had a really rough second half. But, the, you know, from the time that the injury occurred in Oakland and then all the ensuing bang-ups that he had to deal with, it's, uh, I, I think it really took a toll on him. And to his credit, he didn't try to blame, you know, that as the, as the, the, the culprit, so to speak. But he looks great in camp right now. He's, uh, it's, he's, it, he's Ty France, and then he can really hit. And, and I don't think – any of us is going to look at the second half of last year as an indication of what Ty France is about. 
Well, I, I was so happy to hear it. I mean, you know, it was I sort of assumed that it was the case and everybody was telling me last year, no, you're crazy. He's fine. I'm like, well, I hope he's hurt, because if he's not, that means that, you know, there's a big hole in Thai France that somebody has started to expose. So, you know, obviously great news moving forward if he is if he is past that. And I guess that's a lead in then to Evan White, who's had a lot of his own injury uh, issues over the course of the last few years. And we've talked uh, about him a few times in the last few weeks. But uh, Shannon said he's been out uh, taking some outfield as well is that a, a potential path for him to contribute as well it is you know and that was part of the plan coming into spring training last year prior to his most recent injury and um, obviously it never got off the ground much Evan played a fair bit of outfield in college at the University of Kentucky he actually played the outfield for Team USA um, prior to, to his draft year so it's it's not foreign to him he's such a good athlete and Right now, he's actually been one of the most eye-raising players in camp to this point. Is you know Evan looks 100% healthy. He checks out in the in the training room as 100% healthy. We know the the dynamic of of what his defense does on our infield, and you know what we're seeing right now in his athletic explosiveness and the batter's box. You know, there's still so much left to be told in, in Evan's story, and. And our thought was if he can play a little left field, if he can play some first base and give himself, you know, that type of utility again, you know, whether it's first base, left field, giving, you know, giving us a chance to rotate tie in for a DH day. There's so many positives about having Evan on our roster. And right now is about as optimistic as we've been about his, his progress as we've been in a couple of years. I found myself thinking through, uh, we've been talking a lot about Matt Brash and, and by all accounts, he's just looked ridiculous uh, at camp. What had Shannon said that, uh, that, that JP Crawford didn't even know what pitch he was being thrown. So great. The wizardry and just everything that, that he's throwing right now. So I was trying to envision a scenario in which he realizes his potential this year and he's just ridiculous. And Andres Munoz continues to grow in a way that he did last year. And you are left with these two guys, both as ultra high leverage relievers in the back end of your pen. What does that look like for you? Because you, you guys have sort of gone away from the traditional traditional closer, which I love. You, you've tended to slot guys in based on, you know, leverage situations. But if you had two that were both equally high leverageable, how, how does that work? So I, I, I feel like that is representative of what it looked like for us in the last two months last year. And, you know, when, when Matt Brash clicked as a reliever, when we brought him back from Tacoma, uh, he was pretty unbelievable in the second half last year. And, you know, we, we saw it from his first game back when he came in in that big series against Toronto and just lit us up and, and it continued to think that there's even more upside in there, and and frankly, we think there is, is is pretty exciting. And you know, Mooney grew so much from June to the end of the year. They're both young, exciting stuff. And you know, that doesn't even tell the story of the guy in our bullpen who's been the toughest hit in the league, which is Seawall. <laughs> so it's a uh, you know, he's the one that doesn't throw a hundred, but is is very effective. And what that allows, Scott, is just the ability to shorten up the game. And, you know, you never have to try to push that starter through. You know, we don't have to gamble on the bridge guy that comes in in the, in the sixth inning you know, to bail you out and, and hope that, you know, they get you to, you know, the back end of your pen. The back end of your pen can start almost immediately. And 
with with guys like Munoz and Brash, you don't have to run out, you know, a triumvirate of, you know, Brash, Munoz, Seawald to get to an end of a game. You can simply rotate them mm. and keep them fresh and, and make sure that, that every night you have you know, that type of dominant reliever to, to insert in a game. I was thinking that too, right. I mean, the ability to kind of keep those guys fresh. And if Bryce Miller is everything that you've talked about him being, I mean, it, it would seem logical that we could see him join that pen if there's no room in the rotation, at least short term, no? Yeah, you could see it. There's Actually, there's two other guys in our camp that have caught early attention in that space too, maybe three. You know, we talked about Justin Topa and Mm -hmm. what he brings to the table and physical stuff. And we're seeing it down here. Still don't know, you know, where, where Justin will fit or, or whether it will translate to on-field success, but the stuff is notable. The guy who might have shown the the best stuff to date in, in our early BPs and and live throwing sessions is Perlander Barroa, who is, uh, you know, he'll, he's, highly likely to start back in the minor leagues, but from a pure stuff perspective, he's after sitting on 97 miles an hour, touching a hundred with what at times looks like the most unhittable slider you could throw. And, and that's in the same camp that has Matt Brash, who obviously has the best slider that's ever been thrown. <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I, I think, you know, Perlander has really caught a lot of attention and he came up with a change up in the off season that looks just nasty. And, his, uh, you know, his, his future may be in our bullpen as well. And but there's, he's a three-pitch, you know, mix guy right now who could start. And then there's Gabe Spire, you know, lefty we picked up in a in a waiver wire deal from Kansas City, who has been, you know, re- he's been a revelation. I know Scott and the staff are very excited. He's he's thrown in the mid 90s. He's got angle and a slider, and you know, it's just different than than some. You know, really, there's not been a big left-handed presence in our bullpen, and and we feel like we can do a lot to help guys like Gabe Spire and Justin Topa. And they don't sound like Edwin Diaz and and you know the the Josh haters of the world, but we've had a remarkable run with taking guys that that have that kind of physical ability and a willingness to work and and helping them become you know the best versions of them. Do you- think that's something you do differently from other clubs i I just think of all of the success you guys have had whether it's seawald or sadler or some of these guys that have not necessarily been huge names elsewhere and you've really taken them and run with them and throw brash and munoz into that list as well do you think you scout and handle you know relievers differently than other teams do you know i i don't know if that's true or not i do think that we are we have a program we have a system that that starts with scouting and and identifying the the physical attributes that a player brings to the table and you know we we definitely have a running list of players that we have targeted throughout the league that you know obviously don't play for us right now who we feel like if we could acquire that player uh, or pitcher we have the ability to turn a couple of dials and, and that's a combination of our analytics department, you know, Joel Furman and, and our analytics group who focus so heavily on pitch quality and usage patterns to our pitching coaches with Pete Woodworth and Trent Blank um, and, and Max Wiener, who's our minor league coordinator. You know, it, it, that trio has done an unbelievable job of, of just sitting down with guys. Woody is, is just a tremendous messenger uh, he can he can paint a picture for a player that makes it very easy to understand what we're trying to get to. Trent is I, I is a bit of a, a pitch shaping or or pitch creation savant, <laughs> and you know that 
the the role that Joel plays is Joel identifies what the the optimal outcome is. Trent envisions how you can create that pitch, and then Woody, you know, messages this is how we're going to do it. And uh, they work so well together, and pitchers respond. And you you can sit down with guys like Spire or Topa and talk to them about what they do well, and they're not you know they're not oblivious to that. They know what they do well, and and then we talk about throwing it down the middle. <laughs> it sounds you know it sounds crazy, but when your ball moves that much, you know just. Just aim for the big part. Uh, it's not going to finish there. And it's uh, it's amazing. A great example in recent years has been Drew Steckenrider. You know, Steck had, when he got here, uh, he was he was a guy who generally avoided that contact. And, and if you pitch like you're trying to get to contact, you're going to find out that you miss a lot of bats because you're ahead and counts. And, and then we dominate the zone. As a reliever yourself, you must be so jealous of what of just what the information and everything else these guys have available to them now. So, hey, I, before you go, I got to ask you about the traject machine. I'm obsessed with this. Uh, you know, Scott had told us about it, and just just talking to Shannon about it. And you know, I, I was trying to figure if I were to first of all, does it make mistakes? If I were to step into the traject machine, is it possible I could get hit, or does it not make mistakes? It does, you won't get hit, uh, and and I can't tell you whether it makes mistakes. I my in my experience that has not been the case. But you know, there the machine itself is it's a phenomenal piece of technology, and you know we're fortunate now to have a pair of them, one in Seattle and one here in in Peoria, and it it emulates the physical stuff and delivery coming from the actual pitcher that you might see, you know. Uh, we, as a matter of, of example, you know, I was, I was an early dummy and, and I say that it, honestly, a dummy <laughs> climbing in the cage at the face, Justin Verlander on traject as we were having the system installed initially last year. And it is very real. I mean, you stand in there and you can't believe how realistic it is. And, and right now this is, we, we just had one uh, installed here in Peoria prior to spring training. And it's, it's a bit of a rage among our players. A lot of the guys are, are excited about getting in there and, you know, you, you see them getting into track pitches. It's part of the early morning hitting stations where they're rolling through and, you know, just picking a, a, a pitcher to face each day and, and when you have an opportunity just to simply track the ball uh, from the guys that you're going to face regularly, it's a huge advantage to our hitters, you know, visually, emotionally, uh, you have an opportunity, just pick the, the, you know, pick the, the best pitch, Justin Verlander's, you know, riding fastball. It, you know, you, you go see Verlander's riding fastball a thousand times, mm-hmm. it becomes less, you know, threatening when you get the chance to go face it live and that's the goal so if i were to go in there as a right-handed i wouldn't try to hit but just stand in there in the right-handed batter's box who should i say if i could choose any pitcher who who would you say yeah you got to go just see what that looks like matt bratch (laughs) that's kind of what i was thinking but it sounds terrifying it is it's a little scary and and you know when you're when you are in the moment and and uh, it's a, it, you see how lifelike it is and the, the imagery up on the screen, it is actually Matt Brash throwing the pitch so cool. from Matt Brash's, you know, arm angle and slot. And when you see the, the machine start to shift, you know, for instance, 
if you if you could in your mind's eye take a picture of where Penn Murphy releases a slider and you know and then the very next pitch you could flash forward to Chris Flexen throwing a curveball and how much different the release points are on those two pitches and and you can literally with with truly the push of a button you know adjust to to see all of those things in a moment and uh, and it's and it's not VR where you've got a headset on and you're you're you know transporting yourself into a different world. You're right. standing in a real batter's box with a real helmet on and you're facing what looks like a real pitcher in a different way than any, you know, uh, I, I guess any machine I've seen before. I think I'd need some real like Barry Bonds body armor going on as well in order to actually just step in there. It dawns on me quickly, very, very quickly. We got to run here. I know you do as well, but it, it, I've never looked up your, your baseball reference page to see your, your batting numbers. You have one hit in your big league career, right? You're one for 22. Who did your hit come off of? <laughs> uh, but my hit came off of Denny Nagel, who was a 20-game really? winner in yeah. the big leagues. Yeah. Um, and it was a I, I, quick story. I, I, have, I, I didn't hit a ton through the years. I was a late reliever that, that you know, typically I'd only hit when we were trying to get through the eighth inning to the ninth or the seventh inning to the eighth or – uh, we, in Colorado, sometimes, frankly, we would run through all of our pitchers and I was the only one left. <laughs> so um, we had, uh, I had an opportunity. Most of the guys I would face were always throwing really hard and I hadn't hit since <laughs> high school. And, and I, I'm, I'm looking at these guys and the Todd Warrells and they, like they, when, when you see real velocity after not hitting for a decade, it's a little, you know, disconcerting. And I knew I wasn't good at it. And then I stood in and Denny became a teammate of mine later. So I can say this jokingly, I stood in for my first, you know, pitch against Denny Nagel and you know, he, he threw a 90 mile an hour heater down the middle for strike one. And I, I turned around, Javi Lopez was the catcher. I turned around and I looked at Javi and I said, I think I can hit that. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and he threw another one, and I and I hit a, a, you know, what what I think was a scorcher into center field, and I got to first base, and Fred McGriff was the first baseman, and and he came up and he patted me on the backside, and he said he said that a boy, and uh and and I'm yelling for the ball, hey get the ball, no kidding, get the ball. And, do you have it? You know, and and but, yeah, I do have the ball, Good. but the funny part was, you know, that our first base coach Clint Hurdle was yelling for the ball. And McGriff put his hand on my shoulder and he said, is that your first hit? And I said, yeah. He said, how long have you been in this league, man? And I, and I said, I don't get to hit a lot. Right. That's awesome. Did you get Denny Nagel to sign it when you became teammates later? I, I did not. But there, there's, it, it's, it's burned on my brain. That's now, awesome. It, every year it gets a little bit harder off the bat. That is, that is just great. All right. Well, thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. We'll see you down there all next week and we'll plan to do this on Thursday again. Sounds good, Mike. Great stuff. There's Jerry DePoto. We're super late, but obviously a lot in there. We'll come back, try to address a little of that. Plus, more has got spring training questions. We'll be right back. I'm Brock and Salk.